Welcome to the She Plays on Women's Football podcast. I'm your host Harry Chan. In this episode, I talk with Lewis attacker Ellie Leek about playing abroad in the US and France. But first, some news from this week. Four-year-old Lyon striker Ada Hergerberg has signed a new historical long-term sponsorship deal with Nike that reportedly runs for a decade and is worth upwards of 1 million euros to the Norwegian player. Hergerberg said that, quote, Nike and I have come and goes to elevate women's sports in the years to come. In my opinion, these are exciting times ahead for women's football, and it's especially promising to see this during the pandemic where companies and sponsors continue to support the sport as a whole. We will later in the show look at the ownership system of different clubs. For example, Championship Club Lewis is 100% fan-owned. We discuss this further with their player Eddie League a bit later in the show. England midfielder Jill Scott has signed a new two-year deal with Manchester City that will see her combine playing with a coaching role. The 33-year-old, who has 149 England caps, joined City in January 2014 and has played 167 games for City in all competitions, scoring 24 goals. Joe Scott, who was awarded an MBE in the 2020 New Year's Honours list for service to women's football, will work alongside the new head coach Gareth Taylor and assistant boss Alan Mahon. Joe Scott said that I'm a player first and foremost. I've been named as a player coach, but I still want to play for this team and get success. This system, in my opinion, could help other women players, giving them the chance to have coaching experience as they move on from their playing career, especially important, I think, in this industry, since retired players have, unfortunately, in general, less opportunities to make money through ads or sponsors compared to male players. Everton player Izzy Christensen has joined Common Goal, a collective social impact movement enabling anyone involved in the world game to donate at least 1% of their salary to a network of football-based community projects, supporting young people in more than 90 countries. Of the 153 players and managers signed up, more than 50% are female. Considering the often fast gender disparity in salaries, that represents quite a statement. Now Christensen said that it's really important to women football players that we are role models as well and it gives you an insight into the type of people we are. We fought battles throughout our careers to change perceptions. Common goal is so relevant to us. It reminds me of a few interviews I have already with some players. Most of them play the game because they love it, not because of the money. Because Frankly, there aren't a lot to be earned in this industry at the moment. 26-year-old forward Nikita Paris has apologised to former international teammate Eniola Aluko, now sporting director of Aston Villa Women, for her show of support for then-England boss Mark Sampson in 2017, writing, I am sorry that my thoughtless actions caused you hurt. Since then, Aluko said she acknowledges and accepts former England teammate Nikita Paris's apology for the controversial goal celebration in 2017. After scoring a goal against Russia, Paris ran to celebrate with Samson, 
who was at the time accused of racially discriminating against Aluko and Drew Spence. Mark Sampson was later sacked the day after the game, and an inquiry later ruled that Sampson made unacceptable remarks to Aluko and Drew Spence. The FA apologised to her for racially discriminatory remarks made by Sampson after further investigation into his behaviour, but cleared him of bullying accusations. Aluko added, quote, During the current climate, Nikita leads the way for the England women's football team in acknowledging and addressing past individual and collective actions with regards to racism. The 33-year-old retired from football in January, having won 102 England caps, the last coming in 2016. We'll be back. Arsenal woman goalkeeper Pauline Pierrot Matlin will leave the club when her contract expires this summer. The 28-year-old French international made 26 appearances in all competitions after joining from Lyon in 2018. Birmingham City forward Lucy Whip has signed a new deal to stay with the club until the end of the 2020-21 season. The former Everton striker joined the WSL club in August 2019 following a four-year spell in the United States. Scotland forward Lizzie Arnott will leave Manchester United Women when her contract with the club expires later this month. Arnott, who has been capped 32 times by her country, moved from Hibernian alongside Christy Smith to the newly formed United side and went on to make 34 appearances for the club, scoring 9 times, and one of those goals was the club first ever competitive goal in a 1-0 win over Liverpool in the Continental Cup in August 2018. Finland forward Adelina Ekman has left Chelsea woman to join French Division 1 feminine club Montpellier. The 25-year-old joined the Blues in the summer of 2018, scoring six times in 25 appearances for Chelsea. 28-year-old Everton club captain Dan Turner has signed a new two-year contract with the Women's Super League club. She scored the Toffees' first goal at the new Walton Hall Park Stadium against Manchester United in February. Tottenham Hotspur fullback Ashley Naval and goalkeeper Becky Spencer have signed new contracts with the WSL side. Naval, who is 27, made 12 league starts in the club's first half-flight season and has agreed a two-year deal. Meanwhile, Becky Spencer, who is 29, has signed a one-year deal with the option to extend for another year. Everton forward Chantel Boye-Horka has signed a new one-year contract extension with the WSL side until June 2021. The 24-year-old has been with the Toffees since coming through the Centre of Excellence as a youngster. Netherlands midfielder Tessel Middag Forward Esme de Graaf and goalkeeper Anna Morehouse are set to leave West Ham when the deals expired this summer. Central defender Vian Sampson, who spent this term on loan with Championship London City Lancers, will also leave East London. Striker Russia Littichon and fullback Olivia Smith are the others to leave, having arrived on short-term de- deals for the season. Welcome back everyone. 
our next guest plays for Lewis FC in the championship and was named to the 2017 Four Southeastern Conference Academic Honor Roll when she played in the United States. Please join me in welcoming Ellie Leak to the show. So welcome Ellie to our show. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fine as well, thanks. So now obviously you played in quite a number of countries. Like you played in the States, you played in France, you played in now in the United Kingdom. So what are are the biggest takeaways from these experiences? Um so going from America, America's a really physical sport and it's really fast. So I was kind of used to playing with extremely fast players and, you know, um, knowing that if I put a ball through my player, I was probably going to get on the end of it. And then in France, I think the standard, it dropped quite a significant amount from where I was playing in America to go to play in Division 2 in France. It just kind of was a bit, um, it was just a bit slower and, you know, fouls were a bit more... um, I don't know, soft, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then coming back to England, I think I was really surprised at how far the women's game would come coming back to England. And I think now I'm in like the league that I'm supposed to be in. And I'm just like excited to go out there and be playing with, you know, great players week in, week out and um, able to, you know, de- develop myself further. Um yeah, I, I think I definitely have a lot more to give to the game at this stage of my career. So I'm looking forward to next season. So, of course, you chose um, to study a degree, you know, in the States at Auburn University before going into football. Now, of course, this is, a, as we have said, this is quite a different pathway. Some players choose to go into playing directly. Do you, which, which one do you prefer, like, for yourself? Um, for me personally, um my experience in America is something that I value out of probably the most things that I've done. I grew up in an extremely small village in Wales and to just go and live in a different country and experience a different culture and be surrounded by some absolutely brilliant people. Like the girls that were on my team were just so intelligent and they like pushed you every single day. Um, It kind of gave me a whole different mentality and taught me how to push myself um, to the best that I possibly can and I think that's now able to relay into you know what I do for a living like daily and what I do on the football pitch um, I don't think I would have you know reached that mental capacity if I hadn't gone to the states but obviously I haven't done the other avenue so I'm probably biased <laughs> um, but yeah a lot of my friends did a similar avenue and they're all doing great now and I think it does really you know it builds you as a person more broadly and gives you a lot more about you as opposed to just, you know, always be in football and in football. I think the transition, if you're just in football to real life can be, you know, extremely hard if you haven't had a little bit of experience. Would you, you're still a young player, but what advice would you give to yourself when you were still a young player, like when you were around 18, let's say? Yeah, I think I had a bit of a temper. Um, and, you know, it was hard to sometimes, um, you know, really 
take in everything that was being told to me at the time. And I had some great coaches. Um, Mark Sampson was my coach who coached the um, women's England team. Um, my coaches in America have immense experience, been coaching for many, many years at a top, top level. And just to absolutely embrace everything that they tell you. Um, I think my coaches in America loved that I challenged them on situations, but I think it was just because I come from a British background of playing. And I think, you know, together they helped me grow not only as a football player, but also as a person. And um, yeah, it's just being recep like receptive to um, the people who are coaching you and listening to what they say and not being afraid to go back to what they've said to you if you didn't originally agree to it and, you know, understand it and just, you know, yeah, just be a sponge. When when you were playing in different countries, right, um, I just want to know, actually, is there a difference in reception towards women's football in the three countries that you played in? Um, I think it's viewed... It's, it's a difficult question because when I first left the UK... Um, I think women's football was in a completely different state that it is now. Um, but when I first went to America, a lot more girls play football. And it's a lot more common for a girl to play football than it is for a boy. And that's why probably the US women's national team has been so successful. Um, but yeah, in France, there was it was quite sexist in France. Um, you kind of, you know, you wasn't as respected as highly as you are. I guess in the UK, but then also now like the BBC do post about women's football and the abuse that female footballers receive on those posts is absolutely disgusting. And um, it's kind of been an eye opener to me just with how much women's football has grown, how many, you know, ignorant people that there are who just can't respect, you know, what somebody does for a living. Um, and I'm sure if those people want to actually watch the game, they'd be extremely impressed with what, the women's game is doing right now but yeah that's the main difference about it. Lewis's model of um, a fan-owned business uh, and you know you have of course more fans being involved in women's football do you think this will at least partially help with the problems that you know people don't understand women's football? Yeah definitely um, I think a lot of the kids down there um, boys and girls they look up to both the men and the women's teams so we're giving kids the you know, role models look up to not only male footballers, but also female footballers and us both to be on the same platform, um, as well as we'll go get stuck in with some of the coaching with the um, younger teams um, and as some of the, my teammates do there. And the men are really, you know, they don't speak to us any differently in that club just because, you know, we have equal amounts of respect and, you know, we're really striving for that equality. And I think a lot of clubs can, you know, benefit from it and I don't think it's something that's going to happen with you know like Man United Arsenal it, it's not going to happen with them for them to be paid equally but a lot of the men's players can go and watch the women play now and have great respect for what they can do and a lot more men like professional footballers speak out about how well women's football is and how well they're doing so um, yeah I think it's going the right direction and I think we'll always have ignorant people <laughs> If you can change uh, one thing about, you know, women's football, what would you change? Um, if I could change one thing about women's football, 
it would be that you know players who are playing in the top two divisions top three divisions you know we're getting paid a lot more money um we as female footballers sacrifice so much to play the sport just because we absolutely love the sport and I would be really curious to see how far the game could go and how competitive it could get if it did get our funding and I think spectators would come pouring in to watch the sport and it would end up playing for itself eventually um it's the fastest growing sport in the world right now and you know we're just looking for people who are ready to buy into it and so we can kick on make those next big steps do you think because we were talking about that a few weeks ago do you think in the championship players should get full-time contracts as well definitely yeah 100% um it's hard because some teams in the championships do have full-time contracts and we're competing with those teams week in week out but then also in the cup competitions we're competing with the top tier divisions who are all full-time professional and I think we're immediately at a disadvantage um when we're going up against those teams you know we're not we're not we can't fully focus on being a footballer all the time like we can't you know make sure we can make sure we're eating and preparing our bodies as best we can but you know most of us have to get up at six o'clock for a job and work until 5 p.m 6 p.m every day and then go to training get into bed at 11 o'clock like you know we don't have the opportunity to you know fully recover and make sure our body's in the best state that it can be um whereas the other clubs do it's something that you um and your girlfriend Martha Thomas uh Kate Long- Longhurst and Jess King you're doing a challenge called let's see the 365 kilometers birthday challenge can you tell us a bit about that so Martha's captain, um, Jilly Flaherty at West Ham, she owns a small business called the Cryo Lounge. And basically during the coronavirus, they were forced to shut down. And the business itself was only a year old. So um, they were put in a very, very vulnerable situation. And um, yeah, just to do our part, um, us four helped, you know, raise a bit of money for them, to, you know, just to keep them on their feet for the time being, being during the pandemic. Um, to make sure that, you know, Jilly was able to continue building her business. Um, I think they actually had the first, I think they opened for the first day today. So, um, yeah, hopefully things are on the rise for them. And, um, yeah, we just wanted to assist, you know, local businesses as much as we could. And, of course, Jilly being really close to Martha, um, I kind of got dragged into it by her. I didn't realise <laughs> running I was going to have to do. <laughs> but, yeah, we to support each other, don't we, in times like this. Is there any way that, you know, people listening to this uh, and, and all that, that, that people can support uh, her business or other small businesses? Yeah, well, I think I definitely encourage people to, um, you know, come and look up on the Lewis website, how you can support and invest in our club and, you know, learn a bit more about Lewis as a club. Because like I said, it's an absolutely amazing place. And if you just came to a game, you'd feel like part of the family already. And then, yeah, with the, the cryo lounge as well, um, I'm pretty sure you can buy like vouchers and stuff. And, you know, if you do have a sp- sports team or you're part of a sports team, you can go check out um, the treatments that they have to offer. And it really, really does make a difference to your body as an athlete and you know, can help you, you know, make those next steps in progressing yourself if you take it seriously enough. And, yeah, I would definitely recommend going to try book something in with them.
So talking about you know supporting people, um, I think although this is a football podcast, I think something that we've been made aware of are you know um by the Black Lives Matter movement is police brutality um in different places. So there are comparisons between you know the United Kingdom and the United States, the police forces in both places. You know the states, the police are militarized, and yet in the United Kingdom, some of them don't even have pistols, don't even have any firearms. So you have been in both places for quite a long time. Do you have any insight into this comparison? Definitely. Um, I think because I lived in America and um, I kind of witnessed, you know, as much as a white person can in America, how bad it was. And, you know, at Auburn University, we're extremely inclusive. And, you know, we have people from all different backgrounds on our campus and, you know, we all look out for each other as a family, like we're with the Auburn family. And, you know, we would see, you know, and witness people being discriminated against regularly, um, just for the, the color of their skin. And, you know, you'd see things in the media very often of, you know, people being shot innocently just because of the color of their skin. And sometimes it would be completely overlooked in the media as well. And I think it's kind of why I'm so passionate about it now. Um, in the UK, it, it isn't as bad as it is in America. I don't think so. Just from my experience, I could be wrong. But there are people have been oppressed for so long. And, you know, it really frustrates me when people say, like, you know, um, black people are part of gangs and this sort of thing. And I'm just kind of like, you have to understand, like, black people have been oppressed and are in a situation to where they've been underprivileged compared to us like we need to recognize that our white privilege has allowed us to you know move forward and almost ignore how bad racism is um but i think over here it's just like people are struggling to recognize the issue where i think the black lives matter movement and how many people have come out since the black lives matter movement and been passionate against it just shows how racist our country actually is as well um but yeah i think the more education the better um when i i studied history in school and luckily enough we studied american history and a lot into um, black history um so i've kind of learned about how bad it was but i never i don't think i'll ever ever be able to understand it but all we can do is you know donate to um the communities um that are supporting the cause like donate to black Lives Matter, um, sign petitions. There's so many petitions out there right now that are towards good causes, um, getting innocent, helping get innocent people out of, you know, um, incarceration. And yeah, it's working. The protests are working and I hope that people keep the momentum moving forward and that we're able to, you know, keep moving forward and take those steps daily and, you know, keep speaking to each other and, you know, hopefully we can progress and, I just want everybody to be equal and it's going to be a long battle, but um, yeah, the more people that talk openly about it, I think the better. And I think we need to keep the momentum going with the Black Lives Matter movement. We have like a few quick fire questions before we sort of try to wrap the whole thing up. This is a scenario that uh, we saw online. So let's say after the interview, for whatever reason, you find a lottery ticket and then you end up winning let's see, 100 million pounds, that's what they wrote. Um, so how would you spend it? I would 
make most of the teams in the second division go full time. But I'd probably give Lewis the biggest budget. Right. <laughs> Just <for> <laughs> nice. Let's talk about something about your you playing a game. Um, before the game, any pre-match rituals for you? I love crazy socks, and I have like a funky sock collection. And every single game day, I will pick a crazy pair of socks that I will wear to the game. And I, I probably won't play in them because it's not, they're not that comfortable. But I'll wear crazy socks to every game. Right. Is there a reason why, or is this just some sort of random choice? Um, my dad, when my dad was younger, he always had crazy socks, and I only kind of put the two together. I have like an obsession with really cool socks, so <laughs> I think I kind of put the comparison together the other like week that I loved crazy socks because my dad always wore crazy socks when I was growing up, and it was just you know taking a bit of him to the game with me. This is a spin-off from some of those. You know, famous interview question. So let's say you can have lunch with any football player, um, dead or alive. So do you take them to eat fish and chips? I, if I was going with like David Beckham, then yeah, I would take him to eat fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> but like if I was, I don't know, if it was like Mbappe, like the French food is so much better than the British food, so I don't would appreciate it. <laughs> is there like, a particular compliment that you received and you think it was one of the best ones you ever have? Um, I think, I guess, like, coming back from playing in America, I was always pretty average pace. And now being back in the UK, I get called fast quite a bit. And I've never, I've never been fast, so I absolutely love getting called fast. This is a segment where we named it the voices. Uh, it's where we sort of have you know guests coming on or other other players or coaches to give us a message to you know support young girls and boys who are you know facing challenges um, while they're chasing their dreams, you know, especially under current situation. Um, so we just want to ask you to say anything really to you know those young girls and boys who may want to become a player one day like you. Yeah, so to you know the young girls and boys that have the dream of playing professionally, um, all I'd have to say to you is, you know, don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not good enough. Um, don't ever listen to somebody when they say that you can't do it. Um, have that chip on your shoulder. Um, always believe that you can do it. And if you have that mentality going into every single training session, you will get as far as you can in the sport and you will have a hell of a lot of fun doing it and you will learn so much doing it and you will have a great life ahead of you. So yeah, just stick with it and there's gonna be adversity, but you always stand back up. You always brush off those negative comments and put at the front of your brain that you can do it and believe in yourself. Ellie, thanks a lot for joining us on the show. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. You have a nice time. Okay, bye Harry, bye. Thanks. Here's what else you need to know this week. 
Since our last episode, the U.S. Soccer's Board of Directors has voted to repeal a 27 policy that required national team players to stand during the national anthem, a rule adopted after Megan Rapino knelt in support of Colin Kaepernick. President Donald Trump said he will not watch U.S. soccer teams anymore, which could be good news. Last time he left the game early, the New England Patriots made an unbelievable comeback and won the Super Bowl. Chelsea are to donate the prize money for winning the WSL to Refuge, a charity which supports women and children experiencing domestic abuse. Manager Emma Hayes said it is, quote, a charity that is close to the hearts and minds of the women's team. Newly promoted Aston Villa will play their WSL games at Warsaw's Bank Stadium. Aston Villa, who were awarded the FA Women's Championship title last week, have agreed a two-year ground share deal with the League Two side. The stadium has a maximum capacity of 1,100 and will be one of the biggest in the WSL next season. Plans to finish this season's Champions League and Europa League will be discussed at a meeting of UEFA's Executive Committee on Wednesday, with the Women's Champions League set to take place in northern Spain. Australian and New Zealand bosses have embraced a new FIFA report that rates their bid to co-host the 2023 Women's World Cup the best of their three submissions. FIFA said that Australia and New Zealand scored 4.1 points, the joint bid from a maximum 5 in a bid evaluation report grading its plan for the first 32-team women's tournament. Japan scored 3.9 and Colombia trailed with 2.8. That's it for our show this week. If you liked the podcast, remember to rate, subscribe and share it with your friends and family. We'll be back next week. Thank you again for listening. I'm Harry Chan and this is the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast.